Good morning and welcome to NUFC Matters. Not very often I say good morning uh, on this programme, but here we are with uh, Steve Howie before he goes out for his uh, daily walk. Great to see you, Steve. How are you, mate? I'm good. Uh, up nice and early this morning. Went out uh, early this morning with a dog. It was minus seven as well. Wow. It was freezing. Um, came back. Uh, I've just finished training. Um, so I'll have a quick wash and then get ready for this and then obviously take the dog out again at 12 o'clock. Brilliant. Well, great to have you here today, of all days, because it's actually our one-year anniversary. It's our birthday today for NUFC Matters, and it's, uh, just as we're saying off-air, really, it's um, it's tragic that it's, it's, it's lasted this long, because it means, of course, the pandemic is still with us in, in that way, you know, and that's the reason we set it up, to, to try and keep people entertained. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic concept uh, of, of having people still to be kind of in touch with what's going on, but obviously to interact as well. I think that's the biggest thing. I think one of the things that, um, you know, obviously I've, I'm kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, in a tangent, but kind of it's mixed, is the fact that the thing with the videos, which I do as the rest of the players, it's all about just trying to connect with people and stay connected with people. Um, and this is obviously a, um, a, a massive way of doing that, especially when the big thing is obviously Newcastle United. So you can all, everybody has the, the views, the views of the manager, the players, results, performances, and it's a great tool. Yeah, it's been great to see uh, Alan Shearer taking part in podcasts this week as well. I mean, it's not something he would normally do, but... Um... You're doing well getting him on, by the way. Well, it was a, it was great, and Gallagher Shots have done it as well this week. You know, Alan Alan's obviously got his raffle, which he's pushing, and um, we're oh. delighted because obviously we supported it from day one, and he, you know he's now hit over a hundred thousand pounds. Um, you know, you know, still still ongoing till uh, the back end of this month. Uh, he's two hundred fiftieth goal. He's match shirt, he's boots, um, and he's captain's armband from his two hundred fiftieth goal. Uh, Ten pound a ticket, get yourself in because that's a, a bit of gold dust. I said to him when I was speaking to him the other day, though, you got to dig a few more shirts out. <laughs> well, I mean, it is a fantastic thing what he's doing. Um, I mean, it is a great prize. To be quite honest, there might be a bit of mud on there, but there's no sweat. He didn't really move. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was a goal lagger. Um, but it is a. It's, I mean, obviously, the foundation that he's that he's, uh, he's got set up is is absolutely superb, and, and it's a fantastic prize. And I think anybody can get get their hands on that. Lucky enough to win it is uh, is a fantastic thing to have. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, enough of me. Um, got plenty of questions coming in uh, and quite a few on Twitter already. I know you'll have probably seen a few of these, but uh, we'll start with Keith Rowell. He says, can you ask Steve, how did winning the first division title with Man City compare with winning it with Newcastle? And how did it feel getting the equaliser in the Manchester City derby? Two great questions, Keith. Um, I think the Newcastle one was, was brilliant because obviously I was at the club when you know, I felt as though it was really struggling. Um, and then obviously to see the team and because of the manager and Terry Mack and the players that were brought in, you could just see that the team starting to develop. The passion was always there with the fans, but it was amazing to see. I mean, obviously the, the, the game that we, we won it was Grimsby away. Ironically, Grimsby being the team that beat us at home. I think the, the lad that scored, he scored an absolute belt at home and beat us 1-0. Uh, but the Man City, it, it was kind of similar, really, because, again, the, the, the team and the club had been right down in the, in the sort of um, in the lower divisions and really struggling. 
obviously I went there when Joe, uh, Joe Royal was manager. Um, but again, Kevin came in and again, just starting what, what Kevin does and what, what he did best. You know, our players believing in themselves. And of course, to win it um, at Man City again at, at uh, Main Road uh, with the players that we had as well. I mean, you're looking at kind of Ali Benabia, Ali Berkovic, uh, Paolo Wonchok, or Dick Oshon Gorka. You can go through the team, Kevin Harlock, Stuart Pace. You know, fantastic team. But obviously, uh, the one at Newcastle as well, you know, Bears, Rob Lee, all them lads, Ned Kelly, Barry Benison, Paul Bracewell. Um, very, very fortunate to uh, be a part of both of them clubs and both of them teams. Um, so I couldn't really pick one. Um, as far as the, the goal at Old Trafford was concerned, that was the same game that um, Roy Keane had a little, shall we say, late challenge on Alvinga Haaland. Um, plus, it was the, I think, they could have they could have relegated us uh, that day as well. Uh, and to be fair, we got absolutely pummeled. We got battered, and we were lucky to still be in it at one 0 And I think Paul Dickoff had, had took the corner, and I'd managed to get my knee on it, and it had gone in. We were lucky enough to scrape a one-one. I mean, ultimately, we went down to Ipswich during the week, and we got beat, and we got relegated. But that was the start again of the revolution with with Kevin again. So I think to score anyway is always good, but in a derby, it's always that little bit special. Okay, good stuff. Martin McGuinness says, uh, can you ask Steve which game, in his view, was the defining game when he realised the title challenge was slipping out of reach in 96? It wasn't the Man United game because, um, I mean, we, we absolutely pummeled them that day and got beat 1-0. I mean, I can remember speaking to Peter Schmeichel about it in Man City when, when uh, Peter came to Man City and even they were astounded how they managed to get anything, let alone a win. Um, Pete was just had one of them games where kind of uh, just no matter what we did he was he was saving i think the biggest one was probably blackburn uh for me i mean obviously i think fans of all the rest of the lads might have different different ones um but blackburn uh graham fenton will always be remembered for the for the goals uh that was the one i think that kind of knocked the stuff in a little bit out of us um, it was disappointing for me as well because obviously I'd getting into the back end, which was the Liverpool game, the 4-3. Um, I'd done my hamstring and we all know, I mean, you look at Callum Wilson, hamstrings are very, um, you know, they're not great to, to get over. So, of course, I was out of the team, Philippe and, and Peasy was in there and, I, and it was difficult to watch, uh, you know, as a as a fan, really, and as as a player that we were so close, just to see it slipping away was, was a killer. So I would probably say the Blackburn game for me, but I'm pretty sure the boys would probably say maybe, you know, whether, whether it was Man United or one of the other games, that's that's their opinion. Okay. Tom wants to know why you left Newcastle to go and play for Man City. I felt as though I'd been in Newcastle too long, if I was brutally honest. Um, I think sometimes as a player, you need to feel appreciated. And I didn't feel as though at that particular time I, I was. Uh, Kenny was the manager uh, at that time. And I can remember going in uh, to see uh, Kenny and he wasn't in. Uh, Terry Mack was in. And I told Terry, I just sort of said, you know, I just feel as though I've been here too long. I need to get out. And um, just little things, you know, and I know it's petty, but there was little things like, they would do the calendar. Uh, do you know, like if that you buy for Christmas? Yeah. And I wouldn't even be in. Yeah, you know, I'd be playing, but I wouldn't even be in the calendar. 
And I'll be thinking, hold on a second, I've been here like 10, 12, 13 years and I'm not even in the calendar. Uh, things like that would kind of pee me off a little bit. And I know it's not the manager's fault, I know it's not the band's fault, it's probably somebody upstairs and I just go, why? You know, and it was little daft things and I know people can sort of say, bloody hell, get a grip. But mm. for me personally, I just thought, you know, I just felt as though I wasn't even getting uh, appreciated by the club. Yeah, it's, um, it's after all that year's service, uh, those years' service, you know what I mean? Being loyal and being such a great player and a, an integral part of a wonderful team, I, I guess, you know, it, it's just wanting to be wanted, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, as I said, sometimes it, it's it's little things. It's not so much it wasn't, it's, it's, it wasn't, for me, it's never been about money. It's never been about anything like that. It was just little things and, and, and feeling like kind of appreciated. Um, but that was, it wasn't just that. I just felt as though it was time to move on. Um, as it was, Kenny, um, like more or less sort of said, you're not going anywhere. Um, and then after that, uh, obviously we had, um, I think rude. Um, yeah. uh, because when I, when Kenny had getting sacked, um, not long after, uh, I'd getting a phone call because of the, and I'd getting out a little bit that I that I wanted to leave, and then I got a phone call uh, off my agent, more or less sort of saying um, Liverpool's interested. Do you want to do you want to speak to them? So I, I met Gerard Hulier and um, Robinson, the chief exec down at Leeds, and I agreed everything. I, I did everything bar sign, um, and uh, I was driving back home from Leeds. I spoke to my parents and more or less sort of said, "Look, it's a done deal." just have to see Rude tomorrow. Yes, he's been on the phone. Um, and then when I'd seen Rude, I'd seen about 8 o'clock in the morning at St. James's. And uh, basically, it was a kind of Kevin Keegan-esque um, change of mind for the player, like he did with like some David Ginola and people like that. It was always from Rude, it was, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to make these signings. Uh, this is what's going to happen with you. This is what's going to happen with uh, this, that, and so there with likes of Alan and Rob Lee. You know, because I'd sort of more or less mentioned the fact that there was a rift between them, and you can't have a rift with your best players. Yeah. And of course, it was going to get turned around, and I was like, right, fine, if that's the case, I'll, I'll stay. You know, and I stayed, and he got sacked. Um, and obviously, uh, after that, so Bobby came in. And then it was a, a little bit after Bobby came in, he pulled me to one side and just sort of said, "Listen, we've got, we've got you, we've got Lauren Chavez, we've got um, Nikos Davidas, um, I think it was Alan Goma, Marcelino." And he said, "Freddie feels as though there's too many centre halves." He said, uh, "We've offered all of them to clubs," and he went, "Nobody wants to buy anybody." He says, "But there's a few clubs interested in you," and he mentioned two of the work. And to be quite honest, there was only one for me, and that was Man City. So I went down, I met Joe Royal, and, and signed straight away. Okay, good stuff. And next question is from David Shepard. He said, who was your favourite centre-half partner where playing for England and why? Um, I, well, the games that I played, I, apart from one, I played, I made debut with uh, Razor Ruddick. Um, but obviously, I mean, Razor was a very good player, but probably you'd have to say Tony Adams. I mean, he was just a born leader. Um, great, great lad off the pitch, uh, but unbelievable on it. So you'd, you'd probably have to say Tony Adams. Okay. And uh, Toon GS, Gordon Samuels, he says, Morning, Steve. Throughout your career, 
who was your favourite manager to play for? Do you know what? I I only never got on with one manager. Um, bear in mind, um, you know, I, I, I played under Jim Smith, Ozzy Ardeles, Kevin Keegan, Kenny Daglish, Rude Hullard, Sir Bobby, um, Terry Venables, uh, Joe Royal, Kevin again. I had Sam Allardyce. Um, but I suppose, like I said, there was only one I didn't get on with. I think people, I'm not going to see his name. You can kind of work it out. I didn't last very long there. Uh, I left. Um, and I didn't have a great deal of time with Glenn Oddle either. I mean, I think there was one question about England on, on Twitter, which I was going to get into uh, because he picked me for one squad. And then um, after that, I wasn't in the squad. But there's a reason and there's a good story behind that. Okay. Uh, Mark Taylor says, Hi, Steve. Was it true that you were originally a centre-forward? And if so, what made you change positions? No, I wasn't a centre-forward. I was always a midfield player, uh, an attacking midfield player as a kid, like primary school and stuff like that. And I came into Newcastle as a midfield player. Um, the only problem was in the apprentices that we took on that year, uh, we didn't have a centre-forward. Um, obviously, we had Anne Flormer, who was a centre-forward at that particular time. We had Davy Robinson, who was a couple of years older again. But in the youth team on Colin Southern, we didn't really have one. Anne Flormer had been drafted in the first team. Um, Davy Robinson was too old, so he was uh, he was in the, the resis. Um, so me and Lee Clark went up front. And to be fair, we, we were pretty prolific uh, as, as goal scorers. Um, that progressed into uh, the, the reserves. And obviously, I mean, my debut was a centre-centre forward, but I was never a centre-forward. I mean, clearly, you, you see me when I was playing as a centre-forward. I wasn't a centre-forward. Um, and it was just Ozzy Ardell, as I've mentioned, because he'd seen me play at the back um, in, in five sides. And, and it was him who suggested the idea. And it was only really when Kevin came that, that I took off and, and me being a centre-half. OK, Mark also says, why do you think you didn't get as many England caps as you should have done? Well, that's the story. Um, I mean, first of all, um, I mean, I, I, I made my debut in uh, 94, um, and then I was all the way through uh, until 96. Uh, 96, I mean, I was I remember being told by um, Terry Venables that we played Switzerland and um, we drew 1 1. Alan, Alan had scored, and we were under pressure because obviously what had happened in Hong Kong, the dentist chair and all that kind of thing, and the flight coming back to Cathay Pacific and Gaza. And yeah, there we go. There, there we go. Um, <laughs> Just on the left-hand side there for those people yeah. who aren't looking, but uh, Gaza definitely. Gaza and the lads leading you astray, Steve. Yeah, well, I think it was everybody leading everybody astray, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, Terry had sort of said, listen, Go and um, get yourself ready because um, you'd be playing in Scotland and, and um, Holland. As I said, I went for a run. It's well documented. Um, I, I ended up right at the end, twisting my ankle and, and tore all my ankle ligaments. Um, I still went there because uh, I'd spoke to Terry and he said, this, it's up to you. You can either come or, or just stay at home. You know, there's not very many people get picked to, to represent the country in a major tournament. Uh, so I still went down. I mean, Saul was, Saul was in the team and, and Gareth and Gareth did absolutely brilliant and kind of basically Gareth and Saul took over, over really after after that because um, Cody Adams more or less retired. And I can remember um, it, the very first squad that Glenn, had, um, that Glenn had chosen, I was in. 
And I can remember him pulling me to one side. And uh, we'll see this story, which I'm going to tell, you've heard before, but I very rarely tell them on podcasts and, and stuff like this because I do the after dinner thing and I try not to tell them because yeah. I want people to come and, and come to the after dinners. Um, so I, I will tell this, this story though. Um, so Glenn had uh, picked me anyway after the training session. He pulled me and just sort of said, Listen, um, I want you to go and see this woman who I think could really help you. And I asked who it was, and her name was Eileen Drury. And Eileen Drury was, was kind of the faith healer. People that know the football uh, would, would surely know the story um, about Eileen Drury and Glenn Oddle. Uh, anyway, I'd, I'd sort of said to Glenn, Listen, Gaffer, it's not for me. The reason behind that was uh, previously, Kevin Keegan's wife, Jean, she'd been reading books on this woman called Betty Shine. And Betty Shine was kind of along the same lines of faith healer. Now, I haven't got anything against that. If that's your thing, then fine. If what makes you better is your thing and it makes you better, then crack on. Uh, but Jean had gotten into Kevin. So Kevin had sort of gotten into Derek Wright. Uh, bless him. Uh, so... Derek had pulled me Alan Shearer and sort of said, listen, the gaffer wants you to come and see this woman called Betty Shine. Um, we went, in all fairness, it was a shambles because the, the first mistake that she made was the three of us were in the room at the same time. So we're like, like bits of kids laughing and carrying on and, you know, just not taking it serious. And she would put your hand uh, two hands on your leg you got your boxer shorts on your slips or whatever and she'll be like she'll be saying can you feel the heat can you feel the heat and you're thinking well you can feel the heat because you bloody hands are warm you know it's not not it's not there's no like sort of there's no power going through that it just didn't work it was a it was a shambles so we've come back and uh, i don't think kevin was too impressed because we we pissed about in all fairness um and actually me and me and Derek Wright got wrong. Shearer didn't like he got off with it, but me and Derek got battered off Kevin. Anyway, as I said, Glenn had asked me to go and see Iron Jury. I said, listen, with all due respect, I'm wasting your time, I'm wasting her time, and I'm wasting my time because it's not something I believe in. It's not for me. And he was like, Not a problem, Stephen, not an issue. You never pick me again in the team. And it was only years afterwards, I was working and uh, I was with Ray Parler. And Ray Parler had said, uh, boy, what, what happened with you and with England and, and the, the gaffer? I said, oh, I said, I refuse to see Ireland Drury. And he was like, oh, my good God. He went, have you not heard the story about me in Gaza before like, the, France, the French World Cup and the squad? I was like, no. She had such a major influence on the squad and who was going to get picked. He says every one of us from the big squad that was going to get whittled down had to go in and see Eileen. And he says, and if you go in that, you had to go into a hotel room. He said there was a chair in the middle. You had to sit down. And basically, she was assessing you. And then she was going to Glenn and saying, yes, no. She was more or less picking the squad, which is ridiculous. But uh, Ray was like, he says, he says, mate, he says, I thought it was a pile of poo. He says, so I've gone in. He says, the chair's there. And he says, I've sat down. And he says, you know me hair. He says, I've sat down, I've gone, Eileen, just a little trim off the back, just a little bit. And she went, get out. He was like, what? She's like, out. Binned. That's him. Gone from the from the squad. He's out of the World Cup squad. He says, Gaza goes in, sits down. He's giggling. She's gone, come on, Paul, let's take it serious. Come on, come on. She's standing behind him and she's going, whoosh, whoosh, 
whoosh, and then she's gathering this stuff up and she's walking to the window. She's opened the window and she's going, go, go, go. Comes back behind Paul, whoosh, 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 back to the window, go, go, go. Guys went, Eileen, what are you doing? She went, Paul, I'm getting rid of all the evil spirits. So it's just me and you in the room. It's just me and you. So then she's standing behind him and uh, Gaza's giggling. She's going, come on, Paul, come on, be serious. Gaza like sort of tends to be a bit serious. And then again, after five minutes, he starts laughing again. She's going, Paul, I've had enough. What's wrong? Why are you laughing? This is serious. Why are you laughing? He went, I'm sorry, Eileen. It's the evil spirits outside pulling funny faces. Well, that was it. She lost the plot, kicked him out. So that was him out of the World Cup squad as well. So just because he'd had a, like a daft little joke, and you know what Gaz is like, there's Paul Gascoigne, one of the best players England's ever produced, is out. Ray Parler, fantastic, part of this amazing Arsenal team, he's out on the say-so of this woman. So um, I would like to think mine was basically the fact of uh, I didn't go along with the Iron Jury thing. I think one or two others, but obviously Gaz and uh, Ray Parler was another. But having said that as well, you had Salt, who was doing Magnificent, and obviously you had Gareth, who, who went on to be amazing as well. So um, it was always going to come to an end. It never lasts, but at least there's a story behind it. It's a great story, that. Thanks for sharing it. Uh, next question, then, is from Tom. He says, Steve, did you have any bad injuries? I mean, obviously, other than the one you had in the uh, Euro 96, what's the worst injury you've had and, and what's the worst one you've seen in football? Um, I had three really bad injuries and each one kept me on for a year. Um, and the three of them, each one can, can finish a career at that particular time. So, um, I mean, I, I missed an awful lot of football. I mean, that's three years solid of missing football, plus the little niggly injuries that you pick up after being out for a full year. Um, I mean, I had, um, I heard like so many hernia operations, doubles as well, not just singles, doubles. Um, finally, that got sorted by uh, a man called Mr. Gilmore. It's actually now called Gilmore's groin. Um, they were just tearing constantly. Uh, so I, you'd come back and then they would tear, you'd come back and tear. I mean, actually, one of them, I got to do it And I can remember, because um, you're more or less in and you're out the same day. And I can remember being at home and just feeling uncomfortable down there and I put my hand down and I brought it out it was full of blood and as I looked it was all open so I had to get rushed in and then there was they'd left something in and uh, then you come back and it would tear again and as I said ultimately I went down to Harley Street and, and got uh, Gilmore's groin so that sorted that out then I had a thing called compartment syndrome which is very little there wasn't a great deal known about it I think out of all of the athletes in, in the company, there was only um, myself and there was a rugby player that had this. And basically it's a tighten of what you call the fascia, which is the back of the calf. And it tightens too much and basically you, 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 um, you, you pull your hand, you pull your calf or you tear your calf and it just, it's what happens if it's continuous uh, walking, uh, sorry, running. So yeah. the training session isn't too bad. Or a game because you stop, start, stop, start. It's like a foot uh, kind of um, exercise. Whereas if it's a continuous thing, so in pre season, if I'm asked to do a 10 minute run, can't do it, impossible, still can't do it. Um, and, and then again, it was, as I said, there was operation after operation after operation. It was a nightmare. I mean, I'm 
you've seen the state of my calves, the, the scars is absolutely horrific. Uh, so that took a year. And then I also um, I slapped my Achilles. Uh, we've actually played in the semi-final against Tottenham at Old Trafford um, in the FA Cup. Just jumping for a ball, nothing, you know, major. Um, and bear in mind, there's 80 something thousand in that stadium, and you heard it snap, and people on the bench heard it snap, and it's like a dry twig. It makes that noise. Um, there's a test that they do, it's called the Thompson test, and basically you grab your calf and you squeeze it. If your foot doesn't flex, it's gone, and, and that was me. So again, um, I was in plaster for six, seven months. Um, and of course, after that, then you've got to have the build-up of the muscles and stuff like that. So they were the they were the injuries. Obviously, you have the daft ones, the, the little cut, the hamstring, thigh, you know, strains, little bits and pieces, a kick, all them kind of things. But they were the ones. The hardest thing about them injuries was the the rehab, and the hardest thing about them was constantly every day going into the training ground and watching the lads train and laugh and carry on. And you're not part of it. I mean, I think Alan's had a couple of bad injuries, and he'll tell you anybody that's had a bad injury, the road to recovery is soul destroying. But you have to just have a mental attitude of I'm coming back bigger, better, and stronger. I mean, I, I felt as well. I did. And, um, I, I ended up playing quite a bit of football after all of these injuries, so I was pleased that I'd, I'd getting back. Um, I've been. Thankfully, I haven't seen anything on the pitch which has really turned me, um, turned my stomach. I mean, you've seen things um, that's happened, you know, like that boost challenge, you know, Coventry and Man United and one or two others. You look at, I think, Andy Glass and Julio CC, you know, their kind of injuries. Um, and there's been others. I mean, thankfully, I haven't been on a pitch where I've seen that. Yeah. Okay, uh, Paul Oxley sent us one on Twitter. He says, um, not many people will remember you as a striker in the early days. He says, what was it like to wear the iconic number nine shirt? I didn't realise you'd actually worn that. Um, uh -huh, yeah. Um, what, what's it, what was it like? Is there an extra pressure wearing it? He sent us that photograph as well from the 1-1 draw uh, yeah. down at uh, Roker Park, of course, with, uh, I think, Liam O'Brien scored the goal. November 17th, 1991. Uh, were you up front that game? I think Liam O'Brien, that free kick, not... We not, did we not win that game two one? He scored two goals in the derbies in uh, oh, Park, apparently. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, well, uh, yeah. I mean, listen. It was, it, of course, it's 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 an iconic number at Newcastle. Um, I think you've got to be. Let's be honest. You've got to be bloody good to wear that number, and you've got to be. You've got to score goals. And I think um, at that particular time in a team which wasn't doing fantastically well, not scoring goals. And let's be honest, I'm a Mackham. That didn't go down too well either. Um, so, of course, you can imagine the bit of stick that I did get. I mean, I'm, I, I think um, I think I got used to my name initially being um, useless Mackham bastard. I think that was the, the, the term I was I was quite... That's what I thought my name was for the first year I was at the castle, wearing that number nine. It was only afterwards that uh, it got like, uh, it got to be Howie. And even then, sometimes it would be like, well, you're Mackham. But you kind of please everybody. Well, that's it. You can't. Following on from that question, then it's uh, this is a rather apt one. Jasmine says, 2022 FA Cup final, um, Newcastle versus Sunderland, packed Wembley. Who would Steve support? <laughs> 
West Sunderland, in this, are, are, are they in the Premier League? Well, I, I suppose FA Cup they could still get through, couldn't they? We could end up, we could end up, um, we could end up playing them in the FA Cup. I would say, you know, there's, there's an easy answer to this question, Steve. It's whoever gives you the tickets. <laughs> well, none of them have any tickets of any of them, to be quite honest. I, I, I can't get tickets off you. Well, you know, I'm not exactly welcome at St James's, so I've got no. no tickets off them. No. Um, listen, I, I, for me, I mean, I've always sort of said, and I, I've said that. Um, I am from Sunderland and I do believe that you should support your hometown team and I do. Um, yeah. But obviously I've got a massive affiliation and massive connection with Newcastle because of the time that I've spent there, the people that uh, I spent with. Um, it's a difficult one. I think well, if, they play each, if they're playing each other in the normal, if it was in the Premier League, I've always sort of said, listen, if Newcastle were really struggling and need the points, 100% I'd want Newcastle to, uh, to win and exactly the same if it was Sunderland. If they're both doing all right, for me personally, I'm not that bothered as long as it's a good game and the best, the best team wins. Yeah. As long as it's not costing them um, a place in the, in, the, in the Premier League. Um, but as far as an FA Cup, I don't know. I probably still have to. <laughs> you know what? I'd probably go for Sunderland if I'm being brutally honest, because it is my hometown team. It's never going to happen. So you won't need that make no, decision. It, it'll no. never happen. David Crone says, "Who was your favourite centre half partnership with at Newcastle?" I liked I liked every one of them. I mean, I had obviously Killer. I had Kevin Scott. Um, I had um, Nikos. I mean, obviously, I played with Alan Goma and um, Lawrence Sharvey. I, I, I had Lawrence Sharvey and Manskitty as well. I thought uh, Alan Goma was a great lad. Uh, but of course, the, the main ones you would sort of say is Peasy, Darren Peacock, and Phil. Uh, Philippe was a good. Well, Philippe was a fantastic player, but as a defender. You'll have to see a Darren Peacock because Peasy didn't spend enough, uh, sorry, Philippe didn't spend enough time in defence to be a good defender. He'd piss off and he, to be quite honest, he'd spend most time standing next to Bloody Allen and Les than he did stood next to me. Um, but as a, as a defender, you'd have to see a Peasy. As a player, Philippe, 100%. Okay, good stuff. Uh, what's the banter like between you and Dean Windass with the walks you both keep posting up? Uh, asks Darren Wells. This is part of the, um, you know, the you know the charity walk that you were supposed to be doing, but obviously he's been put on hold through COVID. But you are still getting out and training, Steve. Yeah, I mean, as, as I said, I think we were speaking just before, and obviously we can't do Kilimanjaro this year because of COVID. But we are still doing coast to coast, which is still twenty miles a day for six days. Um, so it's still going to be tough. We're trying to raise money and awareness of mental health and all that kind of thing. And, um, we've got a WhatsApp group with Windass on it, and obviously there's Mark Crossley. Um, we've got John Park and Chris Kirkland, uh, Nigel Jemson, and a few of the comedians and stuff like that. And it's, it's great fun there. But I mean, Dano's an absolute, absolute space cadet. Um, not the brightest at all, if I'm being brutally honest. I, I look, I mean, I know he does it. What he does on Twitter, though, with these, uh, with these little videos are brilliant, and people do, you know, take off them what they need you know he does the you know beds made pillars on top and i, I mean i think there was a, a, a really famous army uh, commander that more or less sort of said the first thing that you do when you get up is make your bed because even if you do nothing else through the day at least you've achieved one thing um but course, i mean we're always uh, talking with each other we're always kind of uh, involved with the with the whatsapp group 
some stuff on there that's not really for people's viewing it. You can imagine what WhatsApp groups are like, and some of the stuff that gets put on there is, is absolutely shocking. Um, but ultimately, I think um, what we are trying to do is a group is serious. Um, you know, we do want people to get out. We do want people to get in contact and stay positive because it is difficult, especially now. I mean, as, as we said at the start of the show, it's, it's a year, you know, and it's um, some people are, are finding it very, very difficult. And I think for me personally, um, I, I, it, it helps me personally. And I, I don't mind going out and doing videos. I don't do videos every day. Uh, but the, the feedback that you get when I put a video on, when Dino does, when Mark Crossley does, the feedback of people all of a sudden just thinking, do you know what? I was going to sit on my backside today, but I seen the video and I just thought, I'm going to get up. And instead of going out for 10 minutes, they've gone out for half an hour. Instead of going out for half an hour, they've gone out for an hour. And we always believe that if you do do that, guarantee you when you've done it, you feel a damn sight better. 100% you feel a damn sight better. And the fact of picking up the phone and speaking to somebody that you haven't spoke to, or even that you have, just to keep in touch, or you haven't seen, it helps massively for you for yourself, you know, your well-being and mental health. For me, I think it's um, the power of just doing something, something so simple. The benefits are huge. Jeff uh, Willock sends a message in. He says, "Good morning to the two Steves. Can you thank Steve Howie for the walking videos?" Uh, most helped me and a lot of people. Please carry on with them. The walk-ins brill. Uh, it's a, it is a fantastic website. Um, you know, obviously, um, I'm not on here for, for sponsors and stuff like that, but have a look at the website. You know, it, it is, um, we are trying to raise a lot of money uh, for the NHS and mental health charities. But even if the money is not um, massive, our, as long as we feel as though there's people actually taking up walking or they've, they've done five minutes in the, like in the garage of lifting some weights or did a little bike ride or, or anything, just something. I always sort of say, do something for yourself which makes you feel better in a positive way. Um, and I, I guarantee you, even if it's for five, ten minutes, it, it, does, it does help. It really does help. I mean, we've talked about this before. I've spoke about it um, in depth with a lot of other people. Um, I, I, I'm blown away by the fact that the smart, the, just a little video, or me, or even me getting out and just doing like a ten-minute walk with a dog or a fifteen-minute walk with a dog helps me. It really does help me. And then because I'm feeling better within myself, then I'm ready to help other people. And I think once you start with yourself, you can then open yourself up and help other people. And if that if, you help other people. If it's one person, I've done my job, and I, I, I will be putting stuff on over the weekend. And if that gets one person out, I've done my job. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm averaging about twenty thousand steps. Um, yeah, I'm a, I think I did twenty twenty seven thousand yesterday, mate. So I mean, wow. I did further afield. I walked from Gateshead, well, Dunstan, as you know, all the way into town. Um, I had to go to the office. Went up to Northumberland Street. Uh, then I walked back down at the quayside. It's one of my mates, Dave, who I, who I walk regularly with. I have done since um, you know the very start of the pandemic. We then walked uh, down to the quayside. We grabbed a copy on the quayside. And then we walked all the way back to Dunstan. And then we bypassed Dunstan. We walked all the way to the, um, the skiff, which is past the Metro Centre. 
and then we mm. turned around and then we came back. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a few hours out of your day, but yeah, it was a good, good walk in tough conditions as well in the snow. Yeah. But um, yeah, walkingsbrilliant.com, great website. Have a look at it, guys. And yeah. just stuck the link up there. I mean, the, the thing is as well, one thing I've discovered is the fact that even where I live, I didn't even know half the stuff that was there. And I've got, you know, I've just thought, wow, it's a lovely park here, or there's a lovely um, something to see. Or before we've got the dog, me and Cam used to jump in the car, and, you know, we go to Whitby, and you know, it's nice to sit down and have a cup of tea and, and fish and chips and stuff like that, and fresh air. It's you see some wonderful sights, and there's some wonderful places up, you know, here in the northeast. I mean, up Northumberland, clear and all that kind of thing. Be absolutely amazing. I tell you what, that walking, your walking, can come in handy with. Is when we do finally get over this and uh, we do get some dues, you know what I'm going to say? Stop bloody picking the phone up and get me to pick it up. What you're asking? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be too sweaty before we get on stage, mate. That's the problem. But uh, yeah, good good idea, mate. I've done yeah. myself, done Does myself a big hole there. Can you pick us up? Only five minutes down the road, you lazy fucker. Brilliant. Uh, did you ever play against your brother Lee, says Jasmine? No. No, it's probably just as well. Yeah, probably just as well, yeah, definitely. David Crone says, who would you pair uh, out of our current crop of centre centre halves? At the moment, on current form, I'd probably go, um, I think Fernandez has been really good. Obviously, Clark, uh, I like, I think Lascelles has been up and down. Um, Sharp before his injury. You're looking at the three for me, which is um, Sharp, Fernandez, and Clark. Uh, I've always liked doing that, but he just doesn't seem to be getting in there. He's probably on the left-hand side, but um, you just wish a speedy recovery from Shaw because I, I thought he'd be out for a lot longer than what they're seeing, uh, given given the injuries that he's had on his knees. Um, I mean, I, I think there's going to be a few back for the game against uh, Chelsea. Um, let's hope the you know the, the get in there and, and give a good performance because it's going to be a tough game against them. Yeah, I've just just dragged that team up actually from that one-one draw because you know what it's like. Liam O'Brien did score. The the team that day was Tommy Wright, Matty Appleby, Darren Bradshaw, Kevin Scott, Mark Stimson, yourself, Liam O'Brien, Gavin Peacock, David Roach, Alan Thompson, and Andy Hunt. And oh, yeah. on the bench, Steve Watson and Lee Makel. They came on anyway. They were the, they were the subs that came on, but. Uh, just under 30,000 at Roker Park for that 1-1 draw. But, uh, yeah, some some team that, yeah, I remember that. I was probably at that game. I, I can't remember it. I remember the 2-1 very, very well. But, um, yeah, that must have been the season before. But uh, David Reed's asking, favourite night spot in Newcastle? He says, you remember seeing you in Legend? Didn't really go out, to be quite honest. So there wasn't very many uh, many places that we went. Um I think, look, it's been well documented that we, we did go to Legends. Obviously, there was the Quayside with Martha's and Jimmy's and then Jimmy's. Um, I think we normally started off with Uno's. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that was, that was just a period of time where, um, you know, we we like to socialise. And I think that helps uh, the team bonding. Uh, there's a lot of stories that we have from that. But, again, I think there's watching this which is not for them we'll keep yeah we'll keep them for the yeah for the after dinners if we yeah. ever get back to them big shout out to spider vpn who are uh, sponsoring 
this month's StreamYard application. Thank you for your support. QTechShop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle. Also, the makers of the T-shirts, which you can buy from NewcastleLegends.com. And also of our graphics and little videos there. Uh, they had Steve walking uh, 10,000 miles to the Proclaimers. So, uh, a big thanks to them for that. That was you, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I was walking. You were just standing doing nothing. Yeah, I, I was, was me. <laughs> Jab Signature as well, who make our posters and flyers. Big shout out to them. And if you're a first time visitor to the channel, please subscribe. Just click the little box down in the right hand corner. Click like on the video and uh, give it a share as well to your social media. Busy day today as well uh, to celebrate our birthday. Obviously, we do have the three amigos back uh, tonight. Um, so we will be on the show tonight. Ian Mearns again, MP for Gateshead, joining us at 5.30. And then I'm doing a little half an hour special for the boxing fans out there. I'm doing a live head ahead with Roy Jones Jr. Good friend of mine uh, over the years. Keep in touch on a regular basis. So uh, he's pop popping on for half an hour uh, just to do a little boxing Q and A. So we'll get back to uh, the uh, the questions. Gareth from Spider VPN says, uh, congratulations on one years of the show, Steve. Thank you very much. Uh, to you, Steve, he says, what was better about Man City compared to Newcastle after your move? It was just uh, um, it was something different for me. I think it was a new challenge. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, you look at Man City now, it's, it's, it's a million miles away from what it was when I was there. Um, I mean, when I, when I went to Carrington, um, it was the training ground was run down. I mean, really run down, but at least it was at least it was Man City's. Whereas you guys, we didn't even have one. Um, you know, we had rent all the time. But as I sort of said, it was just for me personally. I just felt as though I just needed a change and I needed a, a different challenge. Um, I felt as though I'd made a mistake by turning Liverpool down, um, and I just thought, you know, I, I don't want to be um, regretting not taking that, that chance. I mean, obviously I, I could have stayed in Newcastle and, and, and it could have been kind of easy for us just to stay at Newcastle. Um, but I wanted a different challenge and a, a different sort of uh, episode of my life. And I still can't believe you didn't get a testimonial. I, I really I don't refused. Yeah, it beggars belief though for me that you should have got one, you know, when, when other players yeah. did just to just a, a game a game to celebrate the fact that you'd been at the club during the period, I mean, everybody else seemed to get one, you know, even Shola, you know, <laughs> he, he was well, yeah, I mean, for a long time. I mean, he, he yeah, might was, not have been, the, yeah. he might not have hit the height the same as you, but he's, you know, he still served that decade. It just seems to be. A I, I agree. I think that, you know, if, especially, it, well, I, I don't think you'd get it really this day and age, but even back then, you know, I mean, I made my debut in 89 and I left in 2000, you know, that's, that's a long time to be at that club. Um, and I can remember my agent going up to Freddie and asking, and it was just a, a flat no. So I was like, wow. See, and, and that was that basically confounded the, the fact of where where I felt I was at, you know, and I just felt as though, well, you know, if you're going to, this is where I'm thinking you know, I, I needed to, to go because you, you are getting kind of, I felt as though just like that, being there for that long was at the club, but it was absolutely on its backside really to where we went where we went in Champions League massive part of that I felt and didn't get a thank you or kiss me ass. Strange, strange, strange. David Crone says what was it like walking out for England for the first time? Uh nerve wracking. Um 
yeah, I, I mean, in all fairness, you kind of sit in the dressing room before the game, and even sitting in like uh, at the hotel before when you meet up, and you find it pretty surreal because I'm looking at players that, I, that literally about four or five years ago I had on my bedroom wall um, from Shoot Magazine, and now all of a sudden I'm the class teammates, and I actually know my name. So it's I can remember being so proud. Um, and I can remember after the game, my dad had sort of said, listen, no matter what happens, you know, from playing and doing all those hours, I was you know, going in between corners, left and right foot, left and right foot. Um, you played for your country, but there's not very many people that can, that can say that. Now, listen, I, I have to be honest, I think, that, you know, Gareth does really well with sort of trying people out. But I suppose back in my time, I felt as though it was a, a big, big thing to get an England cap. And I think you have to you have to be decent to be quite honest to, to get an England cap. I'm not saying you don't have to now, but I think sometimes they're kind of giving away a little bit more easily. Yeah, I would agree. Tom Dixon says, How many uh, red and yellow cards did you have during your playing time? Oh, I'm not sure what yellows. Um <laughs> reds one. What? Who was that? I was, playing Castle. I was playing for Newcastle and we played um Ozzy Ardellas was the manager and we played Charlton. Um, I think I'm not sure if we're playing at the Valley or we're playing somewhere else. No, I, I don't know. Anyway, I, I came on as a sub, a centre forward, and there was a lad that was playing right back. I think it was called Darren Pitcher, and he's going to clear it. And I've caught him late. Um, I haven't caught him to, to, to hurt him, I've just caught him late. Um, and the referees showed me a straight red. Okay, Tim Ken says, uh, who was your inspirations in football? Uh, are we talking kind of when I was growing up? Like, kind of Yeah, I would imagine who inspired you? Who were your heroes? Um, I, I did like, I mean, bizarrely enough, I, I, I love watching Kenny Daglish. I love watching Glenn Odell. Um, I just love watching football and, and watching, watching players. I mean, for me, I, I think... Um, I just had a, a real determination to to be to be not where I was, uh, which was, you know, I suppose I'm proud of, of where I came from in some respects, but I just I wanted better. You know, I didn't want to be in the council estate anymore, and I wanted to make sure that I could be in a situation where I could provide for and help my mum and dad. Um, so therefore, when we had six weeks holidays and I mean, obviously there was no academies and stuff like that. Um, I used to just go outside and with a tennis ball for hours and hours with my left foot with a tennis ball. So I was always right footed. And I think that massively helped me. Uh, but as I said, I just like watching them kind of players. But if I'm being brutally honest, I did have a massive determination to, to, to do something with my life. So when I look back, I'm, I was really proud of what I did. David also says he's just had the Dream Boys on the phone. They want you on their calendar, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> what, with a <the> balaclava? <laughs> Jasmine says, how did Newcastle spot you in the first place? Just like everything else. I mean, obviously, um, I played in the Russell Foster League, uh, which was like kind of a tiny way of league. Um, you know, you played for your school, you played on a Saturday, you played on a Sunday um, for just like, you know, um, under like under nines, under tens, eleven, twelve, thirteens, fourteens, all the way through to kind of uh, sixteen. 
Um, at, at our games, I mean, when I was at St Cuthbert's, we had a really good prime team, but obviously at St Aidan's, we had a we had an unbelievable team at senior school. Uh, I think we only lost two games in the five years we were there. We won everything. Um, and so we used to get like every scout from every club watching us uh, because we had some fantastic players. I think nearly every everyone signed up for a club. Um, I don't I think. Uh, yeah, there was there was only myself actually who, who actually made it from the whole group. Um, but I know that, um, like as I said, there were scouts from, it used to be the first division then. Um, I went to Manchester United on trial, didn't like it. Uh, went to Leicester on trial with Paul Kitson, funny enough, as a, as a, as a kid. Um, I kind of enjoyed that. Um, but it was always going to be between um, Sunderland and Newcastle. At Sunderland, the, the scout really was a, was a bloke called George Hurd. And he was with a fella called Harry Dent. And at Newcastle, it's been the one and only who's been there, who had been there for years and years, and the lads I'll tell about Lee Clark, Steve Watson, Bob Elliott, Alan Thompson, um, is Peter, uh, Peter Berkeley. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they would uh, come in and, and obviously just go and speak to my dad and find out who, find out who my dad was and ask if I'd wanted to come in for a trial or um, do like kind of the six weeks holidays eventually, because that's when that came in. Um, I went, I went to Newcastle a couple of times, I went to Sunderland a couple of times, and for some reason I felt more at home in Newcastle than I did in Sunderland. Uh, it, it, as it turned out, I mean, I, I basically, as a kid, came through with Rob Elliott, Steve Watson, Lee Clark, and Matty Alvey. Uh, there was Alan Nielsen who was there as well, there was like Hodge Phil Mason, um, David Roach was a year above us. Well, I just, I loved it there. I mean, we turned it down well. Not exactly uh, the most luxurious place to be in, but I love them. Yeah. Paul Usher says, do you remember doing a team autograph signing at MNS Northumberland Street? He says he's not sure what it was to do with. It might have been a clothing range they were selling. Do you remember that? There's a very good chance it was some sort of clothing range. I know they certainly didn't ask me later on with, like, when we did the, the catwalks, um, unless we were doing gloves and balaclavas because they got, yeah. you know, Warbart, and I know you've had Warren on, obviously, Davy and Les, and um, I think Shea Gibbon had put something on, actually, on Twitter the other day, um, because I think <laughs> he was across the DMA, he looked an absolute sight. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, they had them lads for that. Uh, they've kept, like, some me and um, uh, Rob Lee and that peasy out the way. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm surprised Bez didn't get asked. Actually, I, I was just looking at my phone there, and I, Bez is trying to ring us. Yeah, um, Bez is I, on next week. Is he on next week? I'm just surprised he uh, he didn't get asked. I mean, I know there's been a lot of. Did you see the picture of us in in um, Uno's? And he yeah, that, yeah. I mean, he's, he's obviously pausing there. He's doing his boy band look. He's he's trying to ring us now. He's honestly, he's a pain. I've, I've just I pressed the button to see how ringing a bit, and he's rang me about three times. <laughs> No problem. We've got about 10 minutes left anyway. Not much longer to wait. Does Steve think Shearer is the best striker? 100%. Yeah. I mean, he, he, there's nobody there's nobody else that you could really, you know, compare to him, is there? I mean, Harry yeah. Kane looks as if he might break his record. If he if he stays in England, he's got a possibility. He has, yeah. He has, yeah. But, um, I mean, I'll now and again get in contact with him and wind him up. Um, but 100%. Um, 
unbelievable what he did. Yeah, oh, he was. I found that photo of Uno's actually. There you go. There you go. I don't know what Philippe's going by. I think he's been doing some logging. He's been up at the log cabins or somewhere. Yeah, well, so we've got on there. There's uh, there's Rob Lee, Paul Kitson, Lee Clark, Steve Watson, Robbie Elliott, Celez, Warren, Keith, Peacock, Beresford, yourself. Pav's on one of them as well, isn't he? There's a different angle, I think. And Pav he is, it. yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at Les. I mean, honestly, that bloke could wear a bloody pin liner and he'd still look at dogs. <laughs> Yeah, brilliant, brilliant photo. Great memories from some uh, some great times there. Uh, Mainson Junction and Outstable says, "What do you think of uh, Alex Bruce's uh, Talksport interview? It's obviously been on this morning. Not sure if you heard it. Feel uh, feel he's alienating fan base just when results are picking up. He should have a PR department at the club because the headlines by Simon Bird make fans look awful. Yeah, there has been quite a bit of that, Steve. Um, Tune and fro and um, look, nobody can condemn what you know death threats or anything like that." Uh, Steve Bruce isn't on social media. I'll be honest, I've seen Alex Bruce um, have a pop at fans in, in, a, in a roundabout way. You know, now he's now he's calling fans out. It's, you know, it's six of one and half a dozen of the other, I think, with Alex Bruce. But nobody deserves the kind of abuse on social media. We've, we've done a campaign about it. Um, for me personally, it's calmed down, I'm pleased to say. But, but ultimately, for others, it continues. And it doesn't matter whether you're a reality star, whether, you're, you know, Anthea Turner's getting it in the neck on Twitter. It's a bit of, yeah. a, cess, it's a, bit of a cesspit, isn't it? it well, it, it, it's vile and it's abhorrent behaviour. I can totally get where Alex is coming from. I mean, I, obviously, I did the BBC, uh, BBC Newcastle thing yesterday and Friday and that. And it must be absolutely awful that uh, Alex has got to hear the, the stuff that his dad's getting called. I mean, it's his dad. You know, and when somebody's sending something that he that they're wanting his dad to die, I mean, I mean, that's just absolutely horrific. Um, something has to be done about it because it's just going on too much now. I mean, I can, like I sort of said, I can totally understand where Alex has come from. He wants to defend his dad and, and rightly so. And I think when we see an interview from, from Steve himself, when he turned around and said, listen, criticises, that, that, that's part and parcel of it. And it is. I mean, rightly or wrongly, you're in a job and you put your head above the precipice. You're going to get, you're going to be shot at. Really, um, that that for me is kind of acceptable criticism that way. But not there's, there's a line, and I think you can't go over that line. And, and, and for people to uh, to do that, I mean, as I said, it does need some sort of um, legislation where it's got to be looked at where everybody has to be made accountable uh, for, for that you can't just have like a, an account where you can just set it up and you could be completely anonymous that's just unacceptable you've got to be found like named and shamed and, you know and, and, and fined you know that these people if they've got jobs to lose the job this is the penalties i kind of see prison sentence or anything like that but just really really big fines it's social media can be so so good at times and so positive but it can be the source of pure evil as well i mean i know that if there was fans in i would have felt very very sorry for steve because absolutely no doubt he would have been getting dogs abuse he'd have getting hammered and to be quite honest some of the, the criticism and some of the things that would have been said would have been bang out of order and it would have been toxic in there after some of the results um but I'm pleased he's kind of, we've had the results that we've had uh, lately. But obviously, ultimately, something needs to be done um, about, yeah, about um, 
you know, the registration of, um, hello, registration <laughs> of, uh, of how we how we go about this and police it properly because it's just not right. Yep, 100% agree. Five minutes left. Uh, last couple of questions. Roger Cook says, biggest football regret, Steve? Uh, not side of Liverpool. And not getting injured so much. Them injuries weren't my fault. They were just injuries that are injuries. Yeah. It's not like you know you could do anything or prevent them. Yeah, no, no, I would agree. Uh, Mark asks, uh, what was it like watching the genius Peter Beardsley at full flow? Feel, I felt blessed. I felt blessed anyway with uh, working with somebody like Peter, working with the lads, you know, Bears, Rob Lee, Les Ferdinand, Andy Cole, uh, David, David, uh, Philippe, Tino. The list goes on and on and on. I mean, just feel absolutely blessed and honoured to, to have trained with them every day. And actually, um, you know, have, you know, Alan, you've got, I can actually call them my friends. Yeah. For me, they're, they're absolute superstars. And yet I, I feel blessed to say that I actually played with these people and I can actually call them my friends. Train Sun says, out of the greatest strikers we had in the entertainer years, who was the hardest to keep quiet, Steve? All of them. Yeah. Um, but I did keep all of them quiet in, in training. They never liked playing against me in training. You can ask them that. I know that's for a fact. Huh? Five minutes. She's asking us about the dog. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in the games, I, I used to, if I was playing against... Uh, Coley, if it was Peter, if it was Les, if it was Al. Um, David used to still keep on the left, uh, you know, so he used to sort of uh, bother the, the people that was like Steve Watson or, or Rob uh, Elliott and people like that. But well, if, if, if um, the team against me had one of them playing, I'd, I'd mark them. Because yeah. for me, they're the best. And I want to play against the best. And, I, you know, it's no good me playing against if we have one of the young kids coming up front. I'm not going to mark him. I'm going to play against Alan Shearer. I'm going to play against Les because I want to pick myself up against who other defenders would really struggle against because Shearer is the best, Ferdinand's the best, Coley's the best, Peter Beasley's the best. So I'm going to pick myself against them. And if in a training session I can completely nullify them, I'm thinking, well, I'm progressing. I'm doing better. And this is even later on when I was still at Newcastle, not just the early days of being a centre-half. Last question to Tom. I know you've got to go out and walk the dog. What's the best team, um, the team you look forward to playing um, in the league the most? When I was at Newcastle? Yeah. Sunderland. Sunderland. There we go. Uh, Steve Howie, uh, really honoured to have you on the show for uh, our first birthday, mate. Uh, look forward to watching your walk and stuff with progress and look forward to the day when we can get back on stage and tell a few more of those stories you couldn't tell on the podcast. But uh, love to you. Yeah, I'll probably see a bit more as well on them podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, get, I get called because this sometimes comes in saying, I've got to watch that language. Uh, exactly. So I, I think I've been relatively good today. You have, mate. You have. Well, listen, great to have you on, mate. Thanks for coming on. And uh, you stay, stay safe, mate. And look forward to catching up with you again soon. Take care, pal. Absolute pleasure, mate. Thank you. Take care, everyone.
talking to myself again But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on